You're listening to the Park Slope Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Park Slope Community Church, visit us online at parkslope.church. We're starting this morning a new series looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church um, in Colossae. And we title this series, Hungry for More, because in the chapter that we're going to study, the Apostle Paul addresses really a universal problem. He addresses a question and a struggle that we all deal with. He's going to address this insatiable hunger that we all have in our lives for more. More money, more relationships, more power, more satisfaction, more meaning. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of my three-year-old son. So I have a son, he's three, and he's got this morning routine that he always goes through. Uh, It's far too early in the morning. He runs out of his room like he was shot from a cannon. He has one speed, and that's running. So he runs out of his room, and he says, what's for dinner? What is for dinner? And mind you, it's 6 a.m. I'm like, son, it's 6 a.m. in the morning. Now, of course, he means breakfast, but when you're three years old and you're hungry, he's like, a meal is a meal. What is for dinner? And I, I, was, I was laughing at this, laughing at that this week, and I was reminded, like, when we look at, at the Bible about what um, it says about our hearts and our souls, that would be a great picture of it. It's like we roll out of bed hangry. You know, it's like, What's next? What's more? I'm hungry. Give me my meal. It could be dinner, lunch, breakfast. Give it to me now. And we could give example after example after example throughout history of what that hunger looks like inside of us. We could go back to Augustine, the great saint, widely known or widely regarded as one of the um, best thinkers in human history. He said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So for some of us, this hunger looks like a restlessness where you're kind of always looking on to the next thing. And then you get that thing and you're, you're restless again and you're moving on to the next thing. Or what about Blaise Pascal, the famous philosopher and mathematician? He said that each of us have this God-shaped hole inside of us that, quote, in vain we try to fill, we fill with everything around us, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can, only, can, only, can be filled only with an infinite, immutable object. In other words, by God himself. So for some of us, this hunger feels like a hole inside of us that we could try to fill with, with money, with sex, with relationships, with power. Yet the hole remains. And you're like, I don't trust philosophers or theologians. Okay, what about Tom Brady? Tom Brady, after he won his third Super Bowl, in an interview with CBS, this is what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reach my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, it's got to be more than this. See, for Brady and for many of us, this hunger manifests itself with unsatisfied ambition. It's like we always got to go higher and we always got to go further. And for some of us, maybe you've climbed the ladder all the way to the top and you realize that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Unsatisfied ambition. And you're like, well, Tom Brady's from Boston. We don't trust him either. What about Katy Perry? Last month on Instagram, she said this, 100 
This is a picture of her kind of holding, you know, her, her award. 100 million digital singles and still insecure. See, for many of us, like Katy Perry, I mean, we can relate to that. It's like we get what we always wanted. We get the popularity, we get the fame, we get the affirmation, we get the money. And like, I still feel insecure. That didn't give me what I thought that it would. It didn't give me the feeling. It didn't give me the satisfaction. It did not give me the security. And we all live with this inner hunger for more, this deep desire for something bigger, something better, something more satisfying, more stable, more exciting. And the letter that we're gonna be studying for the next four weeks, this letter to the Colossian church, the apostle Paul addresses this hunger. And he, and he, he basically says this, what if Jesus is greater than you thought he was? What if he's more kind, more gracious, more powerful, more in control than you originally thought? And in light of his greatness, Paul is gonna tell us, what if he has more for your life than you are currently settling for? What if your hunger for more is actually a hunger for him? So the next four weeks, that's what we're gonna be walking through together in this series. But this morning, I just wanna address one way that this hunger manifests itself in our hearts. And that is a hunger for personal growth, a hunger to change for the better. Did you know that there are over 850,000 self-help books available on Amazon. So if you wanna improve yourself, if you wanna get better, if you want to grow, there are over 850,000 options for you moving forward. And that tells us something about our hearts, doesn't it? It tells us that there's something inside of us that longs to be better, to do better, to change, to grow. If we're stuck, to be unstuck. But the harder question for us that we're gonna wrestle with this morning is how do we change? Yeah, I know that we, you want to change, but how do you change? How do you grow? How do you get unstuck? And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul addresses as he opens his letter to the Colossians. So Colossians chapter one. If you have your Bibles, you can read with me or you can look on the screens. Colossians one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Okay, so I just wanna stop really quickly. These first two verses, we, typically we just like blaze over these verses. Like, ah, this is like throwaway material, but they actually tell us some really important context. This letter was written by Paul. Paul was an apostle, Paul was a church planter, Paul was one of the key leaders in the early church. He planted churches all over the ancient world. It tells us that he wrote it with his protege, Timothy. He te it tells us that he was writing to a new church in the city of Colossae, which is um, today on the coast of Turkey. And we know by the end of the letter that Paul is in prison. So he's writing these words from a jail cell. Verse three, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Okay, notice what Paul is doing here in this very beginning part of this letter. He's thanking God for this unbelievable growth and change that he heard, has heard about in the people of Colossae. That's what he's doing. 
Let's keep reading. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, and indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. In this passage, the Apostle Paul, again, is thanking God for this growth and this change that he's seen in the lives of the people at Colossae. And there's really three questions that we have to answer if we're, if we're gonna grow. Three questions we have to know if we're gonna change. First, what is the power for change? Second, what is the method of change? Like how does change actually happen in our lives? And third, what is the goal of change? So if we want to change, we want to grow, we all do, but what do we want to grow into? What do we want to change into? And the Apostle Paul addresses all of those questions for us. The power for change, the method for change, and the goal of change. So first, the, the power for change. The Apostle Paul, imagine this. He's sitting in a jail cell. He hears reports about this young church in Colossae. They, their lives have been radically changed. But what does he say caused this amazing change? Where did the power come from that caused this change? Look at verses five and six with me. Very simply, Paul says, it's the gospel. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. And later he says that you understood the grace of God in truth. He says the power of change is the gospel. And he says, listen, since the day you heard about it and you understood it, he said, you began to grow. And I think we just need to maybe stop for just a minute and define what Paul means when he says the word gospel. Because I think for many of us, we have different understandings of that. We, I think we probably think of gospel as a genre, a genre of music, right? It's a type of music. Or maybe it's a type of church. Or maybe you've seen the movie Hercules and he's like, it's a gospel truth. Right, but when Paul uses this word, he says the gospel is the central message of Christianity. The word literally means good news. It was an announcement about what Jesus had accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. And Paul actually, in this passage, gives us three words to help us understand what the gospel actually is, what the message, the core message of Christianity is. And the first word he gives us is grace. We see it in verse two and verse six. He says, Colossians 1, 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father. If you wanna know an abbreviated version, a little sum, summation of the gospel, you can find it in verse two. Grace to you and peace from God. The foundation, the foundational message of Christianity is grace. Grace, as Paul used it, can be described as an undeserving gift an undeserving gift, something you cannot earn. And grace is the absolutely best news in the universe. It says this, and this is amazing. Your approval before God is not based on your ability to be good, to behave, to follow the rules, to follow some type of law. Your approval before God is a gift, and that's grace. This week I was reading a really interesting article and it was written by another pastor and he was telling him about the adoption of one of his daughters. He has several kids, but he said, I adopted an eight-year-old girl and this, this little girl uh, had previously been adopted, but that family in, in many ways had neglected her. 
they never really integrated her into the life of the family. And he said it was just heartbreaking to hear about. And he said, um, in fact, it, got, it was so bad that the, the previous family had taken a family trip to Disney World and left this adopted daughter behind. So, the, I mean, some deep scars and wounds is just awful. So he adopted this, this girl into his own family, and he said, I immediately made plans to start going to Disney World because she had been left out before. I was going to bring her to Disney World this time. So they, they booked the tickets. They, you know, planned the trip. They were all ready to go. It was two months out. And he said the girl's behavior just started spiraling out of control. It just went from worse to worse to worse to worse. And as the day got closer to the trip, her behavior just got worse and worse and worse. And he said, she really rebelled in about every single way a child can rebel. So they're about two days out from the trip and he sat her down and he was talking to her about her behavior and she stopped him and she's like, I know what's gonna happen. I'm not going to Disney World, am I? And he said, in that moment, I really thought, you know, I thought, I would like warn her or scare her. I'd be like, well, yeah, if you don't get your act together, you're not going. But he said, better judgment prevailed. And he said, this is a family trip. Are you part of this family? And she said, yes. He said, then you're going. And he thought that that conversation was gonna spur this amazing change in her. But it didn't. Things got worse and worse and worse. On the drive down there at every pit stop and every hotel stop, he said, it just was, it just was really bad. They finally made it to Disney World. He said, overpriced drinks, overpriced games. I mean, all the stuff that Disney, you know, has. And they experienced it day one. And he was doing his bedtime routine with her. And he was sitting down in her bed, doing their prayers and, and all of that. And he said, what do you think of the first day of Disney? And he said that he just saw her face soften. Like her whole demeanor changed. And for about two minutes, he said, he, she just kind of sat there and looked, thought. And she said this, she said, I finally got to go to Disney. I finally got to go to Disney, but it wasn't because I was good. It was because I'm yours. And he said in that moment, like what the grace of God is finally made sense to him. It's not because I'm good, it's because I'm yours. It's just favor, it's just blessing, it's just acceptance that we get from being God's. Not because we're good, not because we behaved well, not because we followed all the rules, but because of God's magnanimous grace. And this is so important when we talk about change in our lives. Because most of us, when we tried to change in the past, we've just said, we've got to try harder. We've got to do more. We've got to make more resolutions. I can do better. I can do more. I'll do it this year. I promise. And maybe if you're like me, you failed again and again and again and again. But Paul says that's not the basis. That's not the power for change. The power of change is the gospel. And the gospel is grace. You see, our entry into God's favor is not based on what we can do. It's based on what Jesus has done. And this makes Christianity different than every other world religion. So every other world religion will say, you gain your acceptance before God based on how well you can perform. Like at the end of the day, God is gonna look at a list of your good deeds and your bad deeds. And the scale is gonna tip. Like did your good outweigh your bad? And if, if your good outweighed your bad, then you're in. If not, you're out. Christianity says, actually, you can never be good enough. So God's acceptance is given to you as a gift. Faith is spelled 
D-O-N-E, not D-O. We've got to remember that. It's based on what Jesus has done, not based on what we can do. Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live and he died the death we were condemned to die. See, in Christianity, you you get this savior, the savior who's earned God's favor on your behalf and he gives it to you as a gift. All right, that's grace. I've got to move on. Grace, the second word he gives us is peace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Peace, it's like peace from God, but ultimately what the gospel is, it's peace with God. See, I don't know if you're like me, but do you often wonder where you stand before God? Does God like me? Am I in? Am I out? Am I a friend? Am I an enemy? Am I on the team? Am I off the team? Have you had those questions and wrestled with that? Like, am I at peace or am I at war with God? What the gospel says is that God has made peace through the blood of what Jesus did, through the blood of the cross, what Jesus did for us on the cross. You've been adopted into the family and you don't have to wonder anymore, how does God feel about me? Am I in or am I out? No, the gospel tells us that there's peace. Peace with God, grace from God. And lastly, Paul gives us a third word. He says the gospel is a word of truth. Literally, the word gospel means good news. It's an announcement about what Jesus has accomplished. And this may seem elementary, but it's important. Paul says the gospel is true. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary, the, uh, Dictionary Word of the Year. Anyone want to guess? Post-truth. Post-truth. Paul says, listen, the gospel is not just a good suggestion. The gospel is good news. Christianity is not based on a subjective feeling. It's based on a word of truth. So Paul says, hey, this gospel, God's grace to you, his favor, his acceptance. Ah, the gospel is his peace this peace that you can have with God in the gospel, this truth that you can stand on, something secure that you can build your life on. He says that is the power to change in your life. It's not you do more and try harder. Hey, he says, oh, this is a gospel. Second, we have to say, okay, not just what the power of change is, but what is the method of change? At the end of the day, how do I actually change? What is the process Look at me at verse six. He says, in the whole world, this gospel is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. All right, so he says the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. Other translations say growing. So Paul uses a very specific metaphor when he talks about how we grow in our lives. And it's the metaphor of a plant. He says, you grow like a plant grows. You bear fruit like a tree. What does that actually mean for us? Well, first it means that real change is internal. It happens at a heart level. Real and lasting change starts at the heart level and then it moves into your actions because God is not interested in heart transformation. Or he, sorry, he is interested in heart transformation. He's not interested in behavior modification. And I think for most of us, when we think about change, we think about getting our act together. All right, this year, I pro- or maybe it's a relationship that's been broken. You're like, 
All right, I promise. I promise I'm getting my act together. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to hit the gym every day. You know, I'm just going to do more and try harder. But the gospel, what, I mean, what the gospel says to us is that real change starts at a heart level and then it informs your actions. It's organic. Several summers ago, my wife, um, I tried to be a dutiful husband. My wife told me to go outside every day and water this bush that we had in our, in our yard. And so I, again, trying to be dutiful, I grabbed the hose every day, not every day, maybe like you know, twice a week, three times a week. I dragged the hose out to the back of the yard and I'd water what she's, you know, the camellia bush, water the camellia bush. I said, okay, so I'd drag it out there and I'd water the bush. The problem was at the end of the summer, I realized I was watering the wrong bush. And so that bush was looking fantastic. <laughs> The camellia bush was dead, like completely dead. Like walk up to it and the leaves start falling off dead. And so I thought, oh crap. <laughs> and I, I'm done. You know, Lisa's going to kill me. I think, I don't know how much we paid for that bush, but that bush is completely dead. So I could have walked up, could have gone to the store, bought these beautiful flowers from like a craft store, and I could have taped them to the end of every dead limb, couldn't I? And from our porch, from the back of our house, that tree, that bush probably would have looked alive. She wouldn't have known the difference. But me taping flowers on that bush, does that make the bush alive? No. <laughs> it does not make the bush alive. Because real fruit comes from the inside out. You see, the internal life of the bush produces flowers. So we could try to tape all these things at the end of the bush, but that's just behavior modification for us, right? That's just like, yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be kinder. I'm gonna be gentler. I'm gonna wake up earlier. I'm gonna go to the gym three times a week. And we're like, okay, my life is gonna be awesome. But Jesus says, if you wanna start with change, you have to start at a heart level because if the bush is healthy at a heart level, it's gonna bear fruit. So change is internal. He's interested with heart transformation, not behavior modification. And the second point that this fruit analogy that Paul gives us, it, the second point that it tells us is that change is gradual. The fruit of the gospel grows in your life slowly and gradually. Last spring, my son planted a, um, he got a green bean seed from his school. So we got a cup and we got the dirt and we planted the green bean seed um, in the cup. And it wasn't like we watered it and we woke up the next morning and it was like Jack and the Beanstalk. You know, like, like boom. Like, look, at, look, Dad, like this amazing plant. No, we watered it every single day and it came up just like that much. And then it came up like that much. And it was, you know, and then the green bean came out. After months and months, you know, the thing had actually grown up. And Paul tells us that that is what change often looks like in our lives. It's slow and gradual. At gradual as the gospel sinks deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts, it starts to bear this fruit slowly and steadily. I, kinda, I call this the grandparents gauge. So every time my, my parents come into town, they look at my kids and they're just like gushing over them. Like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe how much they've grown. I mean, can you believe how big they are? Look at how fast they are. I mean, this is crazy. I'm like, no, I, I never noticed. I, I really, I didn't, I didn't know that they grew. Because I see my kids every single day. I see my kids every single day. So I can't tell that they're growing. And the same thing is true with us as we look at our lives in the gospel. Like, how do you know if you're more patient today than you were yesterday? You don't. Like, how do, you, how do I know that I'm more kind 
two months from now than I am right now. We don't. But when we have people come around us, which is the church's job, they can say, wow, like, I've seen this growth. Like two months ago, if your boss would have said, you know, been smart with you, I mean, you would have just gone off on him. But look, look what happened last week. He did the thing that you hate that he does all the time. And you were patient and you were kind and you were gentle. I see that growth. And I think this is really hard for us. Like, I think, especially when we come to God, most of us think God is going to be a lightning bolt type fix in our life. Like, okay, God, I'm coming to you. Now zap me. Like, I'm ready. Just change me. Like, boom, I'm gonna, it's gonna be done. But often God says, no, I'm not giving you a lightning bolt. I'm giving you a tree. And that tree is gonna be longer lasting. It's gonna be stronger. It's gonna have bear fruit for the long term. That is what I'm doing in your life. And we're so used to this instant culture. Like, do you guys remember when your favorite band, like years ago, would release an album? You would have to wait till the store opened. You would have to go to the store. You would have to buy the album. You'd have to take the album home, put it in the CD player, and play it. Now, what happens? Your favorite band releases an album. It's midnight, like 12.01. You can go on iTunes and buy it immediately. Same is true with books. I'm like, I'm doing research or something. I'm like, oh, I could order this book. It could be here in two days. Who wants to wait two days? I'll buy it on Kindle. I'll read it right this very second. So we're used to instant change, but God gives us change that's gradual like a tree. Finally, finally, the goal of change. The goal of change. We've seen the power of the gospel. We've seen the method that God um, changes us like he does a tree. It's slow and it's steady it's internal change. Lastly, we're gonna see the goal, the goal of change. Look at verse three. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, Paul uses three words in this passage, faith, hope, and love. And that's kind of, for him, shorthand to saying, okay, here's what, the fruit looks like when you grow in Christ. Hey, that's kind of the genuine marks of a follower of Jesus, faith, hope, and love. And I think many of us are struggling to change because we have the wrong vision of what we're changing into. I mean, it's, this is even common in the church world. Where it's like, okay, like, I know I want to grow, I want to change, I want, but we look around, we're like, well, does that mean like being middle-aged, well-behaved, and boring? It's not the biblical vision. The vision that God has for us is that he's transforming us into men and women whose hearts are fully alive. Men and women who are living out who God created us to be. That's the vision of transformation that God has for us. Life to the full. Jesus says, I want to give you life and give it to you abundantly. He wants our hearts to come alive with passion and purpose and mission. He wants our lives to be marked by the adventure of following him. And I think many of us, we hear, okay, faith, hope, and love. And we're just saying, yeah, blah, 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 like religious words. Translation. Get your act together, be a good person, yeah, 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 yeah. Put it on a coffee mug, you know, put it on Instagram, whatever. Like, religious stuff, do that. That is not what Paul is saying to us at, at all. Faith, hope, and love do not translate safe, boring, and religious. 
Paul is, got, is getting at something completely different. He doesn't say, oh, thank God so much, man. You guys were just a hot mess and you really put your act, you got your act together. Thanks, God. It's not what he said. So at the end of the day, what is the goal of change? The goal of change is for us to look like Jesus, for our hearts to reflect his heart, for our purpose to reflect his purpose. We wanna have a faith like his, where we can trust our father for everything. We wanna have a love like his, where we step out and make sacrifices, where we commit to people for the long haul. We wanna have a hope like his, See, hope gives us this profound security that when everything else in our lives is crashing down around us, when the worst in your mind happens to you, see, hope gives us that security to move forward. Hope tells us that our relationship with God is not based on how much our hearts are committed to God, but how unshakably his heart is committed to us. And so Jesus says, and Paul says, hey, the goal of change is not more religious more boring. The goal of change is for your hearts to come alive with Christ's love, Christ's hope, and the faith and the trust that Jesus gives. So as we start this new series over the next four weeks, I wanna invite you just to walk with us. Would you journey with us as we walk through this letter? We're gonna look deeply at the gospel and how it impacts our lives, how it gives us the power to change, how it satisfies us. We're gonna look at some of the most, we're gonna look at some of the common struggles that we have with this hunger for more. We're gonna look at next week, the future. Okay, so how do I know what God wants from me? How do I know what to do next? How do I take my next step? I feel paralyzed. We're gonna look at suffering. We're gonna look at how Christ answers some of the most um, deep and profound questions of our hearts. So if you're in here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, I wanna say you are welcome. This is a safe place for you to explore those questions. You're like, I got a lot of questions. Great. Come ask them. We want to journey with you. If you are a follower of Jesus, we want to ask you to jump on board. Jump on board. What God is doing in you, he's planted a seed of the gospel and he's growing a tree. And that's going to take the cultivation. That's going to take the watering. That's going to take the support of a community. So journey with us. Jump into a community group. Start coming here on Sunday morning. Let us journey with you. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us at the Park Slope Community Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at parkslope.church. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share with your friends on social media. Once again, thank you for joining us at the Park Slope Community Church Podcast.